Um, America has 320 million eaters and 2 million farmers. That means that less than 1% of the population grows the food for the rest of the country. The median income of a farm household in 2020 was forecast at about $77,000 a year, according to the USDA. Many colleges offer agriculture degrees, but it's also common for some farmers to learn through hands-on experience. Our guest David Barrow is an urban farmer in Austin, Texas. Together with his wife, a chef, he runs a farm and restaurant which focuses on fresh, locally grown ingredients. In 2018, Texas boasted the largest farmland area in the United States, clocking in at 127 million acres. The average farm size in the state was 514 acres. David's farm is just five acres, nestled in the middle of Texas's fourth largest city. In the summer, Eden East grows warm weather crops like tomatoes, eggplant, and okra. Wintertime crops include cabbage, greens, and squash. So just to start off, I wanted to ask, um, how did you get started? Uh, so my pathway into farming was actually a really crazy change of uh, my job industry, essentially. Um, my background, my professional background is in filmmaking, where I spent 18 years in the filmmaking world. Wow. Um, and uh, through a matter of events, um, came to start managing Eden East Farm, which used to be Springdale Farm, a little over two years ago. So we've been doing this for you know a little over two years, wow. and we will continue to do it. So there's a it's loaded. That's the concise answer to a very loaded question. Right. That, that's very cool. Um, what 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 prompted you to to change industries like that? It's a uh, pretty big shift. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> um, Eden East Farm is located on a piece of property here in East Austin that right. used to be Springdale Farm. Mm -hmm. and Springdale Farm was in operations from 2008 all the way to late 2017, early 2018. Um, and so my predecessor and the former owner of this place um, sold the property when he retired. Um, and it just so happens that you know my wife and I were really good friends with them. Uh, my wife's had a restaurant on site for the last seven years. Oh, it's the restaurant. Oh, okay, that makes correct. sense. Correct. So Eden East Restaurant has been here for a long time. And okay. so when it changed hands, we turned it into Eden East Farm um, and kind of made it this like whole one branded thing. Right. Um, as opposed to, you know, Eden East Farm at Spring or Eden East Restaurant at Springdale Farm. Um, so... We were just really good friends with Glenn and Paula, and through a series of conversations, um, they asked us to take over the farm. That's great. Um, and Sonia uh, had no background uh, in the farm, but she Sonia is, a, is your is your wife. Correct. So Chef Sonia okay. Cote is my wife, and she's the owner uh, chef of the restaurant. Um, she had no background in farming, but she is a huge local food advocate um, and wants to buy local and wants to support uh, small farms, family farms, organic farms, etc. Um, and whereas I've done some small form backyard gardening, uh, started some community gardens in Panama, 
and did some other digging in the dirt type of things, um, I just threw myself headlong into it and decided, let's give this a shot. Uh, so um, Glenn and I did this transition where I essentially worked in the office with them, learning their business model, learning uh, how they managed the farm for a, about four months. And then they go, okay, great. You need to move into the field and start figuring it out. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I spent about two and a half months uh, working on the property uh, with no help. Uh, none of the employees would help me. And, um, wow, that's awesome. and yeah, Glenn that's and Paula great. would just be like, okay, here's some suggestions, but you need to figure it out for your own. Um, and then about <laughs> after two and a half months, the employees were like, okay, this guy's not going anywhere. He's mm -hmm. obviously got the resiliency. To they be took able you to seriously. So they started taking me seriously. And ever since then, we haven't looked back. And, you know, so that's a little over two years ago. That's um, really cool. Um, we've been doing this. Yeah. What, so what are the, I guess, what are the benefits of, of local farming? Um, you mentioned a lot of things, organic farming and local farming and stuff like that versus something like a commercial farm or, or a large scale um, industrial farm. Right. So there's a, there's a few levels of thought on that, actually. Uh, briefly, there's this guy named Curtis Stone who's pretty well known in the urban farming industry. And he's got this, this quote that essentially says that, all urban farms, uh, their main, uh, like their main goal, should be just to show people where their food grows from, right? So right. there's that train okay. of thought. But then, um, to me, an urban farm, uh, from my own experience and from you know the farmers that I've known for the last forty years of my life, um, you know, it's really just to be able to be a part of the community and do mm -hmm. something that is good for your community. Um, and providing healthy food, healthy nutrient-dense food, is a really good thing to do for your community. I mean, right. there's no better way to, quote-unquote, leave your footprint than to add value to your community. And being a part of the local food industry is that. That's great. So, I guess, what would you say to somebody who swears by a Walmart steak? Um, you know, to each their own. Um, so big farms, uh, this will kind of tie in the previous question, you know, mm -hmm. big farms are, are there, they exist, they're there for a reason, right? So in a capitalist society, we need um, as much food produced as possible. Um, right. uh, my, my personal preference would be that everyone grows a little bit of their own food and then mm -hmm. we have a bunch of small family farms scattered throughout all of our cities. Uh, that can feed neighborhoods, etc. Um, so, you know, you have your large-scale farms that are providing mass-produced stuff, and then you have your small family farms that are producing high-quality, nutrient dish, nutrient-dense food. That mm -hmm. you know, 99% of the time, if you go and buy it when a farm stand is open or the farmers market is open, you know, that vegetable's been out of the ground less than 24 or 36 hours, which right. means it is keeping all of its nutrients. It's not started that decaying process that food from larger farms that are typically outside of city, 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 city limits has to travel. All right. So, you know, it's not stored, it's not frozen. Yeah. It, um, Freezing it does a lot to the like chemical makeup Correct. of the food, right? Correct. So, you know, each serves their own purpose. Um, it just believes on 
what you as a human want to support. Right. And so um, to tie both of those questions together, you know, urban farms are good for, just like I said from Curtis Stone, to show people where their food comes from and then to provide them an educational link to, uh, you know, see what they can do with it, learn from chefs that are there at the farm stands. That's um, very cool. And if they were to go to Walmart and buy their meat, I would say, you know, make sure that it's a, uh, a, a nice cut of uh, whatever protein that you're trying to buy um, mm -hmm. that was grown in a way that is good for the environment, that is good for the community, etc. Um, I mean, Walmart is one of the largest purchasers of organic meat in the world. Um, and wow. the reason why is no that idea. they can buy in quantity. Um, you know, they buy in quantity and then can move it with their, you know, very smart distribution network throughout mm -hmm. the United States. I suppose it makes it cheaper for them, that economy of scale. Correct. Um, so I guess, I guess what, what you would offer over uh, a superstore, um, like products and ingredients is that local, that local thing. And with that in mind, how, how much do i guess commodity prices of crops affect your business um if you are if you are offering that premium value of like locally grown right so um that's a really good question and i would say when uh the urban farming movement started in austin about 10 to 12 years ago um and likewise in all other metropolitan areas within the past 15 or 20 years uh, that economy uh, and that pricing difference was a huge hurdle. Um, mm -hmm. So if you look at some of the hurdles that farms have to uh, jump over to get started, to continue running, um, and to make a profitable business is, you know, land access is the big one. Land is expensive, land is scarce, mm -hmm. um, and things that are farther away from the city means you have to grow on economy scale just so that you can move that much into an urban environment. Um, right. And then pricing, right? So for instance, you could probably go to the grocery store and get, uh, let's just say a bunch of kale, um, whether it be conventional or organic for anywhere between, you know, a buck 99 and $3 um, at the store. Um, and here in East Austin specifically, you would probably spend $3 or $3.25 for that same bunch of kale. Um, and so uh, the prices are just as competitive now as they used to be. Um, uh, it's just the difference of how much of that quantity are you moving. Um, right. And, you know, it's easy in a place like Austin where people are willing to pay more for something that they believe in. Um, so they believe in keeping their money local. So there's that 1.25 multiplier for money spent in your local economy and how much it puts back into the economy because it's invested in that economy. Um, right. They're willing to spend more for something that's more nutritious that hasn't been stored for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, they're willing to, uh, you know, support their neighbors because, um, you know, who wants another high rise when you could have a park like green setting that grows right. produce that you can walk to. Right. Um, and then finally, um, 
you know, we're an educational place and a lot of parents support us because, you know, their kids come here on field trips. Um, so, so um, do you guys but, offer, do you guys let the kids get hands on with it? Do you let them like go out and work in the fields or, or help with your livestock? Uh, depending on the age group, the answer is yes. So a lot of our younger kids come out and we do, so if there's a elementary or junior high aged kids that, that come out to the farm, you know, we give them a tour and then we do, you know, one of several different types of tasks. One of those tasks may be a go take a picture of certain types of things and come back. Uh, these things or crops are, are items that we spoke about. Uh, we do taste tests uh, of certain crops. Uh, which you know not only introduces the kids to something new, but it also gives them something uh, that they love. Um, you know, surprisingly enough, a lot of the kids will like the arugula, which can tend to be a little bit spicy. A lot of the kids will love uh, carrots, right? I mean, carrots mm -hmm. are a no-brainer. Um, but they go like, "Oh my God, why does this carrot taste different than a carrot that I see at the store?" And it's because essentially the natural sugar content. Yeah. Um, and so we do, you know, little tasks like that with the younger ones and the older ones, such as high school or above, um, mm -hmm. they can get their hands dirty. Um, we partner with two schools, uh, a part of AISD here in Austin. Uh, one of the schools is an alternative learning center and they come over every Thursday um, and we wow. take them through the process. So we teach That's them awesome. how to seed certain things. We teach them how to transplant certain plants. We teach them uh, how to uh, maintain rows. Uh, how do we um, uh, uh, learn about pest management? How do we learn about watering management? Uh, and then uh, once we take them through the whole process, we then teach them how to cook certain things. So they go everywhere from starting from seed they get the whole process. They get the whole process. That's they get to cool. try it. And then we donate the money back to their program um, for like wow. when, so when we plant certain plants with them and then we sell those crops, we will keep those profits and then donate it back to the school so that they can continue that program. That's awesome. So, um, and that's just one of the schools. The other school, they come out here and, um, you know, essentially learn teamwork leadership, job responsibility. Okay. Um, they even answer questions about what looks good on a resume. How should you remain in eye contact when you speak to someone? How should mm -hmm. you shake their hand, greet them? How should you bid them farewell? So we work on things that are life skills along with the uh, traditional skills of being a farmer as well. So what would you say to somebody who doesn't know anything about farming do they need to go do they need to go to school and learn like get an agriculture degree or what's a good way for them to learn if they say they don't live in austin right so any young person who's looking forward to getting into farming uh, there's two trains of thought right uh, one is that you you do need um, some educational background um, mm -hmm. that educational backgrounds includes things like biology, geology, botany, um, ecology, uh, uh, you know, business management. Um, you know, one of the things that I have an advantage of, of all other farmers is that I ran a business for 18 years. Right. So I came in with business management skills okay. 
um, such as doing my taxes or <laughs> right. making, right. making the a, hardest part, right? Or making a budget um, and staying true to prices. Uh, whereas a lot of farmers will have that science background that I had to ramp up very quickly mm -hmm. um, throughout my years um, uh, to to gain just as much knowledge as them. So, you know, you do need some background and there are programs across the nation. Um, community colleges are actually a really great resource for agricultural programs. Mm -hmm. um, and each state has their own. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I do is just go volunteer on a farm for a second and see if you like it. Um, it is extremely hard work. Um, you are working in all conditions, whether it be rain, snow, heat here in Texas, which is oppressive. I mean, you have bugs. Um, and you have to learn a little bit about everything. So, you know, not only are we farming, which includes making seeds germinate and maintaining a crop until we can harvest it, but you're having to learn irrigation. Mm -hmm. You're having to pay attention to weather. Right. You're having to repair machinery or equipment. Um, so you have plumbing, you have technical skills, you have science skills, and then you just have your manual labor skills. So um, it, farmers are basically jacks of all trade, right? Yes, and they Sounds need like. to be. Um, all mom and pop farms are jacks of all trades um, because we don't have the luxury of commodity farms that have you know a large management team and then most likely a very large seasonal um, field team. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, with respect to the, the work and, and the machinery having to be repaired, what, um, what are some ways that you use technology to, to replace some of that, some of that labor, gotcha. um, human labor, I guess. Um, well, there's, you know, no replacement for being able to repair ir PVC irrigation lines, right? That's just okay. a manual labor thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, instead, uh, if you wanted to do a till farm, so like actually use a tilling piece of equipment, mm -hmm. you know, you need to know how it runs. Um, and um, equipment management and proper maintenance of a machine is super important. Making sure it's got oil, making sure it's got gas, making sure it stays clean. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no really replacement for technology where technology really uh, can benefit small farms, family farms, et cetera, um, are uh, your controls for irrigation, um, your metrics and, and uh, measurements that you'll need to take for temperature, whether it be your compost temperature or your soil temperature. You know, it will need to you know, take metrics for your water, um, moisture in that, um, the controls within a greenhouse. You know, there are technologically technologically based farms around the world that utilize technology to essentially run their all indoor greenhouse farm. Mm -hmm. um, vertical farms, flower farms, uh, you know, some microgreen farms, you know, these are, these farms are using technology to essentially control the air temperature, water temperature, water flow right. and size and growth rate of all their plants. So and it's those, smart. those farms would have, I guess, an advantage over an outdoor farm in that they can grow, you know, one crop or one group of crops year round, right? 
Uh, yeah, so um, diversity is always key and diversity is always something that you should take into effect when growing any sort of plants. But a, a lot of the time those technologically based farms can grow um, more of one item. Um, uh, you do need to be careful when doing that though because if you get any sort of pest and it wipes out um, a small amount, it can spread quickly. Okay, that makes sense. Um, uh, but you know, there there are people out there that just grow tulips. There are there's people out there that just grow microgreens. Mm -hmm. There are farms out there that you know will grow a monoculture um, and and take care of everything. Um, uh, they typically have to use amendments, and amendments are uh, soil, plant, and uh, nutrient amendments that you have to add to your okay. produce. And sometimes those aren't organic, and they can cause damage. Okay, um, but that's that, what you mean. That basically keeps the pests off. Right. right. Um, so what? What do you guys do? I see on your website you've got a pretty um, a pretty good variety. If if you were to lose a crop, is there is there something that you can do to kind of make up for that loss, or are there are there like some subsidies that that you can take advantage of that that would help out a farmer that's lost his crop or something? Right. So um, the government does give subsidies, but uh, typically your federal agricultural subsidies go towards larger monoculture farms. Okay. Um, so the financial subsidies um, are uh, are taken up by those big farms. Uh, so where we, a small farm um, that practices organic, sustainable methods, you know, we concentrate on biodiversity first and foremost. Right. Um, and you know we also practice a very strict soil management so we make our own compost here okay and wow. we are heavy composters uh and we take care of it so we're not putting weeds in our compost we're not putting negative chemical uh, uh byproducts in our compost mm -hmm. our compost is essentially leaves and grass cuttings and plant byproducts from you know the previous season to uh, uh, cooking byproducts, whether that be like, you know, the old food from the restaurant or other restaurants that donate to our compost. And then, you know, we turn it and we maintain that and it breaks itself down. And then we add that organic matter back to the rows. I mean, because it's healthy, it's not a house or a appealing place for pest to be. Um, so with the you know, by the biodiversity that we have and the proper soil management we have, we're at a really good start. You're and fairly if, protected. Yeah. And then if, you know, going back to your question, if we lose a crop, we, you know, have multiple other things growing that we can continue to sell. So mm -hmm. it keeps us financially feasible um, to be able to continue to operate our business. So can, can you give me... Um like a quick overview of what, what season, what your season looks like. Um, when do you switch from warm weather crops to uh, cold weather crops and vice versa? Yeah, no problem at all. So Texas is lucky. We can grow year round. Um, mm -hmm. you, we can even grow in August with the oppressive heat. Um, <laughs> so uh, really your warm weather crops start uh, somewhere around late March, early April, and then they go through the end of September. Um, and so you can expect to find anywhere in central Texas, 
uh, specifically Central Texas. You can find throughout that late March, early April to the end of September, you'll be able to find fennel, uh, fresh greens. Uh, those fresh greens include mustard uh, greens, uh, ruby streak, or arugula, mm -hmm. um, or even some warm weather spinach. Uh, you can find Malabar spinach. You can find cooking greens like collards, kale, chard, etc. Um, you can find some fennel, you can find some celery, you can find some onions, potatoes. Um, what's funny is you actually grow winter squash during the summer. So some people start getting, you know, butternut squash, which is a hard <laughs> squash in, in late August, September. Um, it's kind of against, uh, against, uh, what, what would logic would dictate, I guess. Totally. It's really <laughs> weird, but that's just what you do in Texas. Um, you know, you can find all your summer squash too, which is all your soft skinned, yellow, green squash, zucchini, uh, your, your patty pan squash, etc. And then mm -hmm. of course, you know, your tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, okra, beans. Um, those are all your warm weather crops. Sure. And that's what we have in the fields right now. You know, okay. right now there is... Um, something close to 28 different varieties of, of produce in this five acres that we're sitting on right now. Wow. Um, and then your cold weather stuff, which is October through March. Pretty short growing season, I guess. Um, uh, that. That, relatively. Um, yeah. You know, you get your, your brassicas, right? So your broccoli, your cauliflower. Um, you can still do fennel, you can do spinach, you can still do all those cooking greens that I mentioned earlier, like kale, collards, chard, etc. Um, and, you know, then you get a lot of your awesome root vegetables. So your beets, your carrots, your turnips, your radishes, etc. Um, those all grow during the more cooler months. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, Texas is different uh, than some other places um, where, you know, we have these we would like to have four seasons, but we really have these two very long seasons. But there are other people that can get all those crops that I just mentioned earlier between March and September. Um, and oh, wow, really? The, Is that further north? Yeah, so if you're okay. more in the northern United States, uh, the reason you can get all those types of things growing together and look amazingly beautiful and be extremely nutritious is because um, they don't get as hot. Um, mm -hmm. They get more rainfall. Um, and then it's out of necessity because if they are an outdoor farm, uh, the ground is covered by snow the oh, uh, other parts of the year. So they can't really grow. Right. Um, Makes sense. So... You know, you'll notice that greenhouses and hoop houses and caterpillar tunnels and stuff like that, uh, basically these shelters are more utilized as you get more north in the United States. So um, does that does that snow cover benefit those northern fields? Does, do they get a chance to rest or does it need longer to, to uh, return nutrients? So... Um, all areas will need to rest at some point um, and the snow can allow uh, those let's say um, fields um, can let those you know crop growing areas uh, rest um, if they're properly prepared uh, most of the time farmers will put down silage tarps um, or other landscaping tarps to protect it from the snow and the water mm -hmm. um, 
and it also adds the benefit of keeping the soil at a certain temperature and killing weeds. Um, okay. So you have less field maintenance to do during those warmer months when you're growing. Um, you can also not cover it and just lay down a cover crop. And a lot of the times cover crops are there to add nutrients back to the soil. Sure. So, you know, to give you an example of that, beans are actually perceived as a cover crop because really? they add nitrogen to the soil. Uh, they just have an added benefit that you can harvest the fruits and eat them. Okay. Wow. That's that's cool. So it's like a little hack. Totally. <laughs> that's interesting. I feel like a lot of times when you're at the supermarket, you don't really know what food is in season or not because it gets flown in, right, from everywhere. Correct. It's all Correct. frozen. Yeah. Just Correct. Pick it up whenever. Uh, so, you know, that that is a, a really great aspect of, of what – you know, the United States and other developed countries can offer is that you can go into grocery stores and get a extremely wide variety of items mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, get your fruits, get your vegetables, get your legumes, get your uh, nuts, get anything that would be growing in the wild and have access to it. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's people who want that convenience. Right. And, right. and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, David, we're, we're kind of coming up on uh, on 30 minutes. Um, I wanted to know if you had anything you wanted to, to tell our viewers uh, before we sign off here. Oh, no problem at all. Um, so, you know, farming is a really important thing. And I would encourage everyone just to try anything, um, whether it be farming or any other industry, uh, that might deal with the food culture, um, you know, just give it a shot. Um, you know, you can always figure out if you don't like it after you do it for a while. Right. Um, the only thing that I would say is that, that, you know, when you give it a shot, you go full hearted into it and try to make an effort. And that's the most important thing. Um, you'll earn the respect of your peers. You will take more from it. Um, and you'll really be happy uh, with yourself whenever you just give something a full-hearted shot. So thank you so much, David. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again to David for coming on the show. To learn more about David, you can follow him on Instagram at Farmer Eden East. If you're in the Austin, Texas area, you can also make a visit to Eden East Farm or go online to EdenEastAustin.com to find out more.